Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges and this is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we study the Bible. We have been working our way through the Gospel of John. This is episode 84. Today we're looking at John chapter 3 verses 13 through 15. Jesus has been talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jewish people. Let's read the passage and we'll see what we can make of it. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, this is the end of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. We will see Nicodemus two more times in John's Gospel. And John's Gospel is the only place where we do see Nicodemus. We'll see him in chapter 7 when the Sanhedrin is talking about what to do about Jesus and Nicodemus warns them to proceed carefully. Then we see him in chapter 19 after the death of Jesus where he and Joseph of Arimathea go and claim the body of Jesus. Jesus said some strange things to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came and said, we know you're from God because people can't do what you're doing unless God is with them. And Jesus gives him some strange uh, answers. He says, you must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't understand. Jesus actually complicates things further. And then he says, if I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And that's leading into what he says here in verse 13. He's talking about, if I spoke about heavenly things. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, he's somewhat making reference to a a verse out of Proverbs that Nicodemus undoubtedly would know. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son, if you know? So it's talking about how can you know the things God knows? You can't know the things that God knows. You can't challenge God because only God knows what God knows. And, and we have no way. Passage begins. Anybody gone up to heaven and come down? No. Therefore, you can't know the things that God knows. Now, that verse ended with this challenge, what is his name and what is the name of his son? And now Jesus is here as the son of God. And he refers to himself generally as the son of man in the Gospel of John. So no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. So as Proverbs says, Nobody knows what God knows. Nobody can speak of these heavenly things because nobody's gone up to heaven and come back. And so now Jesus is saying, well, the one who came from heaven can talk about these things. No one ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying that he can speak with authority of these heavenly things. Then he goes on to explain it a little bit further, and that seems a little odd his explanation. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. First, we have to address what is he talking about with Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. 
This is a reference to Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 through 9. The uh, Israelites are in the wilderness. They wouldn't go into the promised land as God had directed them, so they're now spending 40 years in the wilderness waiting for the faithless generation to die off. Well, in Numbers 21, starting at verse 4, it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. So they've got to make a detour, and the people are upset because it's a difficult detour. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. So they have spoken out against Moses many times. They have challenged Moses and complained to Moses, but it says here they have spoken out against God and Moses. They are grumbling. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So the people recognized their sin. They recognized God's judgment on them. And that's why they recognized their sin. They repent and go to Moses and ask Moses to step in. And Moses does. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. This is a strange episode in the the history of the people of Israel. God sends poisonous snakes as judgment on the people. Okay, we understand that. But the way it gets dealt with is Moses makes this bronze snake and puts it on a pole. And if you get bit by the snake, you have to look at the bronze snake and, and then you're healed. That all just sounds kind of weird. Well, it is requiring someone to have faith and then act on that faith. God just didn't say, okay, the snakes are gone. The snakes were still there. And while the snakes are running around biting you on the heel, you have to take your eyes off these snakes and look at this bronze snake that Moses has put up on a pole. So it's you have to have faith that that's going to work. And then you have to actually act on that faith and look at the bronze snake. Now the verb that gets translated as looked at, it, it's kind of a strong word to gaze at, to actually take full scope of it. So it's not just peek at it, it's actually look at it. And God uses this to cause them that it's, it's one thing to, to say, okay, God's going to fix this. It's another then for you have to actually act on that faith. So that's the story from the Old Testament. And Jesus picks this up and says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he has that, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It seems, most everybody agrees, he's talking about the cross here, being lifted up, being put on the cross, his execution. And, and that seems to make sense in, in the uh, narrative, because it's so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Some people think it may be speaking of his exaltation that's spoken of in Acts chapter 2. But the, the fact that this is to provide the means by which people can believe 
and have eternal life. He is, I, I believe, talking about the cross. Jesus uses this lifted up language a, a couple of other times. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I can do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. Then in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then John adds this parenthetical statement. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. So we know beyond a shadow of a doubt in chapter 12, he's referring to the cross because John says he said this to indicate the death he was going to face. That is the cross. So to think that he's using lifted up here in the same manner, that's, that's not a stretch. Jesus is somehow linking his death on a cross to the bronze snake in Numbers chapter 21. Now, in what way is that linkage fit? Well, it's faith. It, was, it wasn't magic. It was faith. If you had the faith to believe that God could heal you, could heal you and would heal you by acting on that faith, by doing what he said to do, then you would be healed from the snake bite. And Jesus becomes the means of salvation from sin by our faith. Faith that he is the one. Faith that Jesus died on a cross to take the penalty of sin on himself, allowing forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God. I mean, think about how he explained the gospel. The essence of the gospels were separated from God because of sin. Sin carries a death penalty, but Jesus stepped in and took the death penalty on himself when he died on the cross. And because of what he did, he makes possible forgiveness. And if we go to God in faith of what Jesus has done, confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us of our sin, adopt us as his children, and by that we have eternal life. So that's how Jesus is making this comparison that it is by faith that we are saved. Faith when we look upon Christ as the means of our salvation. So he uses this lifted up language uh, in three different places in the, uh, the Gospel of John, all to indicate that he is going to be the sacrifice for sin, and by our faith in what he does will become the means by which we have eternal life. Now here we see eternal life for the first time, and John uses eternal life 17 times in his gospel. I mentioned before that uh, it was only those two times earlier on that he mentioned the kingdom of God. John talks about eternal life. And what is eternal life? It is life everlasting. It is life that never ends. It is eternity with God. So that is what's available through faith in Christ. This is the end of the uh, narrative of Nicodemus here. Like I said, we'll see Nicodemus a couple other times. and uh, Next time we'll uh, look at a, an interlude, one of the most famous passages in the, the Gospel of John. So I'll see you next time.